Procrastination trades today's comfort for tomorrow's chaos. Overcome it by making the future benefits of action shine brighter than the ease of waiting. Welcome to the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, where we talk about applying high leverage psychology in your business and life. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, licensed psychologist, private practice owner, speaker, executive coach, and consultant. I became a psychologist to learn how to leverage psychology and help others do the same. For over a decade, I've been tracking how psychology gets in the way of smart and results-driven people. For years, I've developed frameworks and tools to help them leverage psychology instead to launch themselves forward. It's my mission to share my hard-earned lessons with you so you can launch yourself forward too. I can't wait to talk high leverage psychology with you so you can learn to take higher leverage action today. Let's talk high leverage psychology. Today, I'm talking about five things people do that kills their productivity and kills their ability to live up to their potential. I'm unpacking why they're so deadly to your focus and taking effective action. Plus, I share my favorite tips on how to eliminate them. A few months back, a client I worked with told me he's not easy to be close with. He's really particular and has some strong opinions but it was more than just being opinionated. I know because I'm the same way. In our conversation, it became clear that he respects expertise, but he had no time, energy, or patience for people who spout nonsense or make themselves out to be better than they are or who gossip and talk negatively behind people's backs. Why? Because it's all blowing smoke, trying to feel better without actually growing or helping anyone else. It got me thinking of the top five things I have low tolerance for and why. In the end, I realized that each of my top five pet peeves make a big difference in my productivity and relationships. And having low tolerance for them makes me very aware of when people around me are doing them, whether that's my clients, family, or friends. I'll say something or walk away when anyone around me is doing one of the big five productivity killers, because even being around it can be infectious. I believe that's part of what makes me so valuable to my clients. I just won't let them get away with any of these. So their productivity can't help but increase. Let's dive in. The top five productivity killers that I can't stand are complaining, venting, blaming, distracting, and procrastination. Just before I dive into each of them, I want to let you know how I came to hate them so much because I've struggled with all of them personally. I still struggle with them sometimes to this day. For me, just being able to recognize and have strong feelings about all of them helps me be aware of and change what I'm doing, even when I catch myself right in the middle of something like avoiding, distracting, or venting. So let's get to all five, complaining, venting, blaming, distracting, and procrastination. Starting with complaining. 
I just hate it when people whine and complain. But don't do anything about a situation or a problem. Don't you? But let's define complaining before we spend too much time bashing it. The way I think about it, complaining is when someone talks about an issue or problem. It doesn't matter whether they really care. And usually complaining means they haven't done anything about it. They haven't resolved it. They're just expressing, talking about it. My favorite way to deal with complaining is to give it the Rumpelstiltskin treatment. What's the Rumpelstiltskin treatment? Transform it from straw into gold, from something that's useless into something precious. Here's my favorite way to do that. Reframe every complaint as information. As an entrepreneur or leader, your client's complaints are a great source of information about what you can improve. Your staff's complaints are the same. They're just about you or your business in creating the conditions that help them thrive. It doesn't mean taking each one at literal face value, but seeing a complaint as a point of data instead of a problem will help you consider how to improve your products, services, and leadership. That's how businesses that get known for having amazing products, services, and being the best place to work get their reputation. They build it over time by listening, considering, and doing something about the complaints. For every one of your own complaints, take a moment to think about how you can change or create the opposite for yourself. Too many things to do? Delegate, delay, or drop as much as you can so you can focus on the stuff that really matters for you to do so you can move the needle. Here's the key takeaway. Turn every complaint into gold. See it not as a problem, but as invaluable feedback lighting the way to greatness. Let's move on to the next one, venting. Venting in physics means relieving pressure by letting something out of a closed system. So when people talk about venting, they're relieving the pressure of uncomfortable thoughts and feelings that are circulating in their brain just by sharing them. Here's what drives me crazy about venting. People often vent just enough so they feel relief, but then they don't take action. In a way, it can be similar to complaining because when we vent, we lose some of the pressure, the steam, and ultimately the motivation that our brains create to push us to act. Because we were unhappy, frustrated, or not okay with something, but then when we vent, those feelings get less intense and our motivation to do something about it also goes down. People can stay a lot longer in discomfort when they have friends, family, coworkers, or colleagues to vent to, but they also might do less about it. Venting is partly how we settle into mediocrity, especially when it comes to being driven, pursuing your big goals, pushing yourself to do what you need to make your vision into reality, to live your dreams. In that way, venting can actually take away the motivation to do what you know needs to be done. Don't get me wrong, venting can sometimes help to lessen the stress of the day. But to me, venting is less ideal than what I like to call the alternative. Let me show you why. Maybe you like the idea of your staff venting so they stick around longer without having to change anything. Or your clients and customers venting so they can keep using your product even though they're not completely happy with it. People in a cycle of venting are easy pickings for your competitors. Whether that's your talent, your clients, your customers, I bet you see where I'm going with this. 
because venting is another goldmine of data about what can be improved. It's the Rumpelstiltskin treatment all over again. Here's what I like to do about it instead. If you notice yourself venting, take some time to stoke your discomfort. My favorite way to do that is journaling three points. Number one, write about why it's not okay. Number two, write about why it's not going away. And number three, ask yourself what you plan to do about it and don't let yourself off the hook. You might realize in step number two, when you write about why it's not going away, that it's actually only temporary. And then if you do, you get to stop there and already you get to feel more clear and free because then it's not venting. It's actually going to resolve itself or it doesn't need an action to be taken about it. And that's not really venting, it's clarifying. Taking the time to think and write helps to clarify the problem, challenge, or obstacle that's getting you frustrated or stressed. This kind of journaling can turn the venting session into a strategy and planning session. And if you're doing it personally, it can be done in five minutes or less. If you want to use that with your clients or with your staff, you can have a meeting where you literally just give them free reign to vent about things that they're not okay with. And in that case, I really encourage you to journal or to write down with those three points in mind, why it's not okay, why it's not going away, and asking yourself what you plan to do about it as the leader, as the entrepreneur, as the owner of the business. I've had countless clients tell me that having clarity and a plan is much more effective and a better frustration and stress reducer than just venting. And I hope you can see why just in that example. So take it to heart. Don't just release steam. Build pressure for change. Venting should be the start, not the end of your journey to action. Number three, blaming. Here's the real deal when it comes to blame. Blame is when we point a finger at a person or circumstance that we do not have control over. We put responsibility for whatever on something outside of ourselves. It does two things. First, it excuses us, justifying why our own efforts or inputs didn't get the results we wanted. It gives an external reason for our frustration or failure. Second, it pulls focus away from what we can control or influence and puts a big spotlight on what we can't control or influence. Ultimately, that's massively undermining ourselves because blame puts our attention and focus on something we can't change that makes us feel less in control. And thinking about that really gets in the way of being able to focus on what we can do. When we blame, we hand our power, agency, and control over to someone or something else. Our lives become predestined. We can't affect or control the outcome. And psychologically, that can demotivate us. Because what's the point in putting an effort to focus and be productive when what we do doesn't matter, when the outcome is determined by something else? Here's what I like to do when blame walks in. I like to make a fist point my index finger at something, anything in the room, and then I turn my hand upside down. So I can see three fingers pointing right back at me. Whenever my brain blames, I remind myself that if one finger points outside, three fingers point at myself. I don't have control over a lot of things, 
but I do have the ability to look at what I did, look back at my expectations, assumptions, and beliefs, think about how I can adjust my expectations, learn what I can change and do differently to get a different outcome. Assume that I've got three times as much influence as pointing a finger implies. Remember this, when you point a finger of blame, three fingers point back at you, offering three times the opportunity to make a change. Hey guys, so thrilled you're here. No ads, no fluff, just a heart-to-heart journey towards a better self. If you want to keep getting every episode as soon as it goes live, hit the subscribe button. It's two seconds and just one click to fuel your growth. Subscribing brings more clarity, not just for you, but to other people just like you who push themselves to be better. So let's help more people listen so they can learn, grow, and live better. Let's create a world full of insight, clarity, drive, and growth, one action at a time. Number four, distracting. By definition, distraction is when we shift or change our attention from something, usually something that matters. Because if it doesn't matter and it isn't important, then we're not distracting ourselves, we're just moving on, focusing on what really matters. Here's my personal theory about distraction. Anyone born from about the 80s and on was basically trained to distract themselves whenever things got tough or uncomfortable, me included. How? Why? I see it all the time, almost every day I'm out in public. Parents whose kids get upset. It's rampant on the streets of New York and in the subways, in the supermarkets, schools, and playgrounds. When a kid gets upset, angry, sad, is throwing a tantrum, or crying, what do parents, nannies, and teachers do first? Try to distract them, to change their focus and attention from whatever was upsetting them. Talk about something else. Give them a phone or iPad. I see it in parenting research too. Researchers talk about distraction as a positive way to stop feeling so upset particularly because it can get more intense before it gets less intense. As if feeling upset is worse than training our kids and ourselves to switch our attention when something gets hard. I get it. I literally distracted myself four times while writing and recording this episode. But so much of productivity, peak performance, and accomplishment has to do with really sticking through the tough moments. The challenges, the frustration, the stress, the overwhelm, the boredom, the monotony, the repetition. Master musicians, Olympic athletes, elite entrepreneurs all have to deal with these ups and downs. Daily, weekly, monthly, year after year, and decade after decade. For so many of the people around me, it drives them to spend their work time, free time, evenings, weekends, and any available moment distracting themselves. On social media, watching shows, or doing anything other than working on their goals. It drives me bananas and I've fallen prey to it myself so many times. Here's my favorite thing to do when I realize I'm distracting myself. Number one, notice that I'm not doing what I've planned to do. Number two, ask myself what got hard. Was it a feeling, a thought, not knowing what to do next? Number three, break it down until there's something I can do to make progress and build forward momentum again. The thing about distraction is that it's telling me I'm having a hard time. Sure, I got used to switching my focus, but instead of wasting time, I focus on where, how, and why I got stuck so I can get back to the task, move the needle, 
and take the actions that are necessary to move towards my goal. I look at distraction as a beacon. It shines a light on where I get stuck. The best thing I can do is become aware and work on it so I get stuck less often. If there's one point you remember, it should be this. Distraction is a signpost, not a roadblock. It shows where your challenges lie, guiding you back to focus and achievement. Number five, procrastination. According to leading international researcher on procrastination, Dr. Joseph Ferrari, procrastination isn't just about waiting or delaying. It's about pushing off doing what we need to do until the last minute or past it. It's a willful act. We know we need to do something. We're not just figuring out what to do or getting ourselves organized. It's not taking a break to stretch, grab a snack or movie. It doesn't help us in any way. We're just delaying the inevitable and making it worse. Procrastination is the brother of distraction. We trade short-term relief for long-term pressure and stress. In a way, procrastination is not just a form of avoidance. It is the embodiment of avoidance. Practically every person on the planet procrastinates sometimes, but research shows that about one out of every four or five people in America are chronic procrastinators, putting off what they know needs to get done over and over again. It might be the single biggest killer of productivity and peak performance. When someone says, I'll go to the gym tomorrow, or I'll get back to my client later, when they have the ability to do it today, right now, they are avoiding in the least productive way. Often procrastination leads to distraction, finding something else to focus on and pay attention to. It's how we find ourselves being busy, getting a lot done, but not actually doing the things that matter most. Real quick, remember the moment an insight here clicked for you? Let's spread more of those aha moments. And here's how you can do that right now and have my everlasting gratitude. Subscribe, rate, and review. It takes a minute, but it helps other people benefit from your light bulb moment. You can light up a complete stranger's day or a friend's in 60 seconds or less. It would mean the world to me because my mission is to help more people breeze through stress and frustration, overcome setbacks faster, and live their best lives. And more importantly, it can make a world of difference to someone on the verge of a life-changing insight. Here's how I like to handle procrastination in four steps. Number one, realize that procrastination is uncovering a misperception in your thinking. You believe that the short-term relief is better than the long-term costs. You perceive the short-term challenges as a bigger deal and the long-term costs as less relevant. Number two, get real with yourself. Take the time to recognize how precious your time is and emphasize the long-term impact. Remind yourself that the short-term discomfort may not be as bad as you expect or assume it is. Number three, write out all the long-term negative consequences, the time wasted and lost, the inputs that are required and get missed. Even do the math on how much wasted time translates to how much you lose on the back end. Now, flip the equation on its head. Make the short-term costs bigger and the long-term gains worthwhile. Make the juice worth the squeeze, and you might see procrastination melt away. Procrastination trades today's comfort for tomorrow's chaos. Overcome it by making the future benefits of action 
shine brighter than the ease of waiting. To recap, here are the top five productivity killers and how I like to flip the script on them to be more focused and productive in accomplishing my goals and helping my clients accomplish theirs. Number one, complaining. Transform complaints into constructive feedback. View them as opportunities for improvement rather than nuisances. Number two, venting. Use discomfort as motivation for action. Channel the energy from venting into problem solving and strategic planning. Number three, blaming. Shift the focus from external factors to personal influence. Recognize where you can make changes and take control. Number four, distracting. Identify the root cause of distraction and address it directly. Use distractions as indicators of challenges to be overcome. Number five, procrastination. Understand the long-term costs of procrastination. Flip how your brain thinks about it to overcome short-term challenges for long-term success. That's exactly what I helped Mike do with himself and his team. At first, he came in and talked about feeling distracted all the time, having days or weeks where he procrastinated. And he complained about his clients and team complaining. He even told me that he just wanted to vent, but I wouldn't let him just release the pressure. Instead of blaming, we looked at what was in his control. I gave him tools and frameworks to improve communication, turn complaints into actionable feedback, and make improvements. We unpacked the challenges and translated the messages that his distraction and procrastination were trying to tell him. And I helped Mike address them directly. Within nine months, Mike and his team were unrecognizable. Mike shared that his focus and productivity had improved by more than 300%. They had become the highest performing team in the history of the company. And of course, Mike is not his real name. I'm using him as an example of clients that I've worked with, as an amalgam of clients that I've worked with. But here's the lesson I want to drive home. The path to peak productivity isn't just about what we do. It's about what we choose not to tolerate in ourselves. Challenge these behaviors, transform them, and watch as your potential unfolds. And on that note, I'll see you next week. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast is produced by Dr. Yishai and PodTech. Music by www.purple-planet.com. Dr. Yishai is a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with the guest or listener. The information contained in this publication is for general informational purposes only and shall not be relied on or construed as coaching advice or therapy. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thanks again for listening. I hope today's episode fulfilled my mission to help you leverage psychology better in your business and life.